I want us to, to talk about, I want us to focus on uh, uh, the trial of Jesus before Pilate. And uh, I want to start with 1 Timothy 6. I have it here on the screen. And this, this verse really got a hold of me some years ago. Uh, Paul is concluding his epistle to his young co-worker. And uh, Timothy is in Ephesus. There is a great deal of... Uh, uh, they're, they're, they're under a lot of pressure uh, in a lot of different ways. One of them is that uh, they were not uh, well accepted. You remember there in Acts 19, the Christians weren't accepted by the culture, by the government, and so on very well. And Paul says to Timothy, I'm in verse 13. I have the part I want to focus on in yellow there. But he says, I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. And, and, and I think what Paul is saying is that you need to go to school on the way Jesus handled himself. In all of the, the difficulties and the pressure and so on, go to school, learn from the way Jesus handled himself before Pontius Pilate. And what struck me as I read that is, that seems to have been so familiar to the early Christian community that Paul could almost incidentally say, by the way, and, and I thought, I... I I don't know that narrative well enough to really understand what Paul is saying. And so I, I committed myself to spending some time studying Pilate, studying the history, and, and understanding the, the good confession of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. And that's where I want to take you. It is part of the Passion Week. The, uh, the, uh, you know, it's interesting that you know that no one gospel is or claims to be exhaustive of Jesus Christ, right? They're all very selective. To make my point there, I like to say, Bible quiz this morning, what are the three cities in which Jesus did most of his mighty works? Can you tell me? Anybody? Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. How do we know that? Because Matthew 11 says that Jesus called down a curse on the three cities in which he did most of his mighty works. Now, one of those was Chorazin. How many miracles are recorded as having happened in Chorazin in the Gospels. You know, zero. The only time Chorazin is ever mentioned is when we are told it was one of the three cities in which Jesus did most of his mighty works, which is to say the Gospels are selective for a lot, and, and various reasons. But it's interesting that all four Gospels give about 40% of their space to the final days of Jesus' life, the Passion Week, we like to call it. It's an eight-day week, bless God, or we wouldn't be here this morning, but uh, Sunday to Sunday. But, but the fact is that we have a stunningly, I mean, vis-a-vis -vis the way, the, the degree to which we can reconstruct the rest of Jesus' life, we have a stunningly detailed narrative of Jesus' Passion Week, and we can put it together almost hour by hour. And as you lay it out, Sunday, of course, is a day of triumphal entry, and Jesus enters the city, and the whole city explodes in happy welcome. And when I go through this, I like to ask the question, given Sunday, why Friday? Given the fact that the city received him on Sunday, why are they crying for his crucifixion on Friday? And I think the answer is Monday and Tuesday, because on Monday and Tuesday, Jesus seizes the temple, cleanses, seals the temple, and never behaves more messianically than on those two days, exciting days. I tell people, if, if somebody comes to me with a, you know, a, a one free ride on his newly invented time machine, I think I'm dialing up Monday and Tuesday, I'm telling you. These, these are amazing days. But, I'm got to, but at any rate, 
Now, two things happen late on Tuesday. One is that Jesus, as he leaves the city, utters his last discourse, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, eight times. You compass land and sea to, 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 to make one proselyte, and when you've made him a proselyte, he's twofold more the son of hell than he was in the first place. Uh, those are excoriating words. And, and, and again, given Sunday, why Friday, it was easy on Sunday to, you know, they were sick of Rome, and here's this one, he's a, he claims to be the Messiah, he rides into town, and we, 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 we're all excited. You know, I always say, what must have been the degree of, still talking about degrees of separation, what, you know, what must have been the degrees of separation in, in, in the life of anybody in, who lived in, in Israel at that day, and somebody who had been healed? You know what I'm saying? Everybody had to have at least somebody down the street or a second cousin or your, you know, who'd been healed. And now this wonder worker rides into town and the city explodes in welcome. That's easy enough. But now on Monday and Tuesday, Jesus drives that city to a decision. And he says, it's me or the Pharisees. That's what he's doing. You're going to either reject the Pharisees uh, or you're going to reject me. Well, that's, that's due to something else that happens on Tuesday. I've got to be quick. And that is that on Tuesday night, Judas angered by a soft, loving rebuke that Jesus had administered to the room on Saturday night. On Saturday night when Mary had anointed him, you remember that? And everybody had said, uh, shame on you, you should have sold this. And, and Jesus said, and I think it was such a loving, oh, no, 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 no. Leave her alone. She's done this against the day of my... But everybody, that was a rebuke to the whole room, but there was one wicked, bitter heart, unsaved heart, and uh, you know what? Here's, here's a watchword you can leave with. You know, sin makes you stupid. And, 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 and Judas had clinged to his wicked unbelief because he loved his sin more than he loved what he knew to be the truth. And so at any rate, my point is that, that Judas was angered by that and it festered in his soul spirit until Tuesday night when he had opportunity and he stole away to the Sanhedrinus and made a bargain to betray Jesus. Now, I'm not going to get into this, but let me just say that there's a whole pile of confusion about Judas. Judas was not hired to identify Jesus. Uh, uh, listen, we get this idea that, that his enemies wanted to arrest him, but they couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Wait a minute. He rode into city on Sunday. There's not a set of human features more thoroughly well-known in this land than that of the Nazarene. Judas, Luke 22, verse 6, could not be more explicit, was hired to arrest, help them arrest Jesus in the absence of the multitude. And it wasn't like he was going to follow them around and assume Jesus was alone, he was going to you know, text them or something like that. They knew the next time he would be in the absence of the multitude. And that is at the Passover, when you have to gather indoors with no more than 20 and no fewer than 10 on the lamb. And so Judas knew, but he didn't know the place. So now that's, that's Tuesday night he makes that bargain. And his, his, he paid 30 pieces of silver. His job is to help them arrest Jesus in the absence of the multitude. I'm getting way too lost in this. But what happens is that, of course, Wednesday is a silent day. On Thursday, Jesus sends Peter and John. Luke 22 and verse 7. Remember this? Go prepare the, 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 the Passover. Where do you want us to do it? Go into town. You're going to find a man. What's Jesus doing there? This is not... This is not, oh, I don't know, I won't go any further with it, but Je this is very deliberate. Jesus was wise as a serpent Matthew, and harmless as a dove, Matthew 10, verse 16. What he's doing is keeping the place secret from Judas because if Judas had known the place, then Judas would have had the soldiers waiting. 
And he had no idea where it was going to be. So now later that afternoon, Jesus takes the disciples, Judas included, leaves Bethany, walks across the Cadron, up the city of Jerusalem to this marvelous villa on the western hill. And there you have the uh, Passover and then the Last Supper. And, and Jesus says, the hand of the betrayer is with me at the table. And Judas goes off. And by the way, just real quickly, just, just contemplate for a moment. Get in the moment. Contemplate what's going on in Judas's soul spirit. He's got, he's got 600 soldiers, a cohort. He's got the whole Sanhedrin. He's got Pilate's judicial apparatus all ready to get Jesus arrested, sentenced, and on his way to execution while the city sleeps. You have to understand this. You see, Jesus' enemies, both Roman and Jewish, have Sunday and Monday and Tuesday ringing in their ears. Do you see what I'm saying? So they have every legitimate reason, Jesus' enemies do, to anticipate that if the city discovers that they have arrested their, the, the, the city's hero, whom they welcomed as king, they expect a riot. You can't have riots in Rome, in the Roman Empire. This is, uh, I won't get into it, but, but the point is that the plot is laid on Tuesday night, the trap is sprung on Thursday night, and the plot is all about getting Jesus arrested, sentenced, and on his way to execution before the city wakes. And they almost get away with it. But that was on Thursday night. Jesus, of course, uh, Judas leaves to fetch. Jesus uh, begins to teach. John 14, 31, he says, arise, let's go out of here. He's just trying to buy himself some time. So he makes his way down to Gethsemane. You have that, oh, you should visit. You know what? Let me tell you something. You'll never really appreciate Golgotha unless you start with Gethsemane. I'm not going to go any further than that, but let that scene seep deeply into your soul. The reason I say it is because artists of every medium and of every age are perfectly capable of representing physical suffering, but how do you represent deep, deep spiritual angst? Gethsemane, that's what's going on. You really won't understand my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Unless you honestly deal with our Savior's horror. One of the dynamics of the, of the narrative, it's so plain, is that as the cross drew near, it filled Jesus with horror. Not the physical sufferings, but the prospect of being made sin for you and me. The prospect of being forsaken by the Father. Oh, there's... there's, there's, there's eternally deep mystery in that, but we can certainly understand that. Well, I'll leave it at there. I want to get to Pilate, for heaven's sakes. Bookman, keep going. All right, so now Jesus is arrested. He emerges from the garden. His disciples have been sleeping. He wakes them, emerges. Here comes Judas. He knows the place. John 18, verse 2 says that Judas knew the place, Gethsemane. He knew that there was no other place that Jesus. So when Judas gets back to the empty room, does that make sense to you? They're in the, they're in the upper room. Jesus, Judas goes off to seek the sand. He, to get the soldiers and the sand. He comes back to the empty room, undoubtedly. There's nobody there. And it's, it's by now, it's at least midnight, maybe a little later, and he realizes there's no other place in town, but there is a garden. When you see a garden in the Bible, it's a farm, okay? So there is an agricultural installation, little, it's an uh, it's a, it's a olive pressing uh, corporation. But at any rate, uh, Judas knows it, and so now Jesus emerges from the garden. Here comes Judas. Jesus is arrested. He is taken, first of all, to the Jewish authorities. The Jewish authorities are not trying to try him in the sense 
determine guilt or innocence and thus assign a punishment, they're trying to come up with an indictment. Oh, I'd love to talk about this. But by reason of Jesus' cleverness, they couldn't find anybody who could actually witness to the fact that he claimed to be Messiah King. Finally, they put him under oath, Caiaphas, in desperation, the, the real villain of this story. Caiaphas, the wicked, wicked high priest. But uh, Caiaphas uh, puts Jesus under oath and says, tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? And Jesus says, I think to Caiaphas' surprise and delight, Jesus says, I am. And now they've heard him confess. See, here's what's at stake. Rome has no room for pretender kings. And the one place in their empire where they had more often, they had sedition and uprising and rebellion, uh, some pretender king, pretender messiah. The one place it happened more often than any other place is Israel. And the one time it happened more often than any other is Passover. Why? Because what are you thinking about? What is every Jewish person in the world thinking about at Passover? That happy day when, king, when Yahweh intervened on behalf of his people and in fulfillment of promise delivered them just as he had promised from a Gentile overlord. Well, guess what? We got a new Gentile overlord. And guess what? We got a new promise. We got a, we got a countdown in Daniel chapter 9. We know it's got to happen soon. So my point is that you have this, uh, this spirit of messianic expectation but, well, let me, let me pick up. So, so w w the real fear, I'm sorry, what the Sanhedrinists, the enemies of Jesus, wanted to hear him say is, I am Messiah. Messiah means, it means a lot of things, but it means king. I am the king. Now they can go to Pilate and say, hey, it's Passover. You got trouble. This guy was welcomed by the, you better be rid of him. So now they're equipped and they bring him to Pilate, finally. Took a long, me longer to tell about it than it did to happen, I think. But... Um, now, nah, here we go, here we go. So let me take you back to John. We'll just stay in John. John chapter uh, 18 and verse 28. Now, uh, John 18 and verse 28. Uh, and, and again, it's about 4.30 in the morning. I think I can make that case, but I'm not going to do it. But, uh, I mean, I'm not going to walk you through it, but this whole drama is over at 6 o'clock in the morning. We know that explicitly because of John 19, 14. When Pilate turns Jesus over to be crucified, it says it was the sixth hour. That's Roman time. That's about 6 o'clock. On the other hand, the Sanhedrinist trial or hearing happened in the middle of the night, and now they have ex extracted from Jesus this public confession, I am the Christ, and so they're going to bring him to Pilate. Now, you have to understand that Without, I, I think it's not explicit in the record, but it, it's, yeah, I think it is implicit, but it, it just couldn't have happened any other way. The Sanhedrinists, the Jewish leadership, had sent their agents to Pilate's representatives, and they'd worked this out. And this was to be nothing but a show trial. Just play along, Pilate. So they fully expect, because again, I'm going to say, this is all about getting it done before the city wakes up. So now they bring Jesus to Pilate. And I'm just going to walk you through the story. It says, I'm in verse 28, they led Jesus from Caiaphas. Now, Caiaphas is the high priest. That's the trial that we were just talking about. Not a hearing. It really wasn't so much a trial, but it was, it was a legal hearing designed to come up with an indictment. And now they have it. So they bring him. Now, the praetorium, oh, I'd love to talk to you about this. No, yay, verily, I'd love to take you there. But uh, 
Uh, Because you can stand right in the place where this happened. I'm so confident. It's it's amazing. I'd love to walk you through it. But and and the beauty of it is it's on the outside western wall just above the Hinnom Valley in Jerusalem. And it's a very, very newly discovered gate system that is is every I mean you can really build a very solid case that this is where Jesus was tried before Pilate. And it's just this beautiful sloping hill down to the Hinnom, and then you got the modern wall, but the modern wall's in the same line of of, of uh, uh, Herod's wall and so on. And uh, I don't know, someday it's going to get, dis- I mean, nobody knows about it. So you can go and usually have it to yourself. Someday they're going to build a big church over it, and you're going to have to pay money. You're not going to be able to figure out what would happen there. But for now, but at any rate, I'm not going to talk about it. But so they, I already did, didn't I? <laughs> They led to the Praetorium. Now, Praetorium, it actually is, the, it's, it's, a, it's kind of an elastic word. It just is a reference to the personal domicile of the senior officer. It usually comes from the battlefield, in the big tent where the, head, you know, the headquarters is and so on. That's so the Praetorium. Now, there is a question, and I'm going to say very quickly, Pilate lived, Pilate is the governor. He is the prefect. He has been that since 26. This is April 3rd, 33 A.D., he has been uh, prefect. Uh, I'm going to get ahead of myself. You know, and, and I come back to this often because for two reasons, and, and one of them is, is, is not all that important, but that is I think Pilate gets a bum rap. Uh, Pilate, in my mind, is a hero of this story. More importantly, Pilate, in Peter's mind, is a hero in this story. That's what he says in Acts 3. He desperately tried to release Jesus. So I think he gets a bum rap. But the other thing, and here's where I'm taking you, and I really, I don't know. I, this is why I think it's, it's healthy to contemplate what we're going to go through over the next few minutes. Folks, I think it's safe to say that in months and years to come, Christians may have to stand before very angry government authorities. Most of what you believe in terms of social issues and so on, is by many today, and will be soon enough, deemed hate speech. And you're going to have to answer for that. I think we need to gird up the loins of our mind and prepare ourselves. And you simply could not find a better pattern. This is what Paul is saying. Go to school on the good confession of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. It is staggering in its nobility, in its, it's just a staggering record. So get to it, Buckman, I know. So, uh, so at any rate, so, so he takes, here's what's happening. Oh, I started to say, Pilate lives in Caesarea Maritima. But at, at Caesarea Maritima is on the coast, it's beautiful, it's well guarded, and that wasn't a big issue anyway in the Roman. And uh, 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 Herod had built a beautiful palace right out into the Mediterranean Sea and so on. Herod the Great, he's a dead guy, okay? That was a long time ago. But now, 30 years later, Pilate is the governor, and so he lives in Caesarea Maritima. But at Passover time, he comes up, and so where is he going to stay? I'm going to argue, and uh, I don't, I'm not going to argue. I'm just going to say he's staying in a beautiful palace on the western side of the city, also built by Herod. So Jesus is brought just around a corner. I think I can take you in with Real confidence, we can stand at the place where the Jewish trial was held. But now we come around a corner, it's a five-minute walk, and we come to the place where Pilate had convened court to try Jesus. So they bring him to Jesus, 
And notice, i got to go quickly by it, but it says there, uh, they themselves, that is the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled. So they've evidently, and I think some drachma probably changed hands here, but uh, they, they have induced Pilate. And I'm going to say again, it's about 4.30 in the morning. And they have induced Pilate to come out because if they go into a actual Jewish uh, Gentile household, they would defile themselves, not by Moses' law, but by rabbinical law, okay? But, but nonetheless, uh, so, so he's come out and, and convened the court. Pilate went out to them and said, all right, let's pick up the narrative. They said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, verse 30, if he were not an evildoer, we wouldn't have delivered him up to you. Now, folks, understand, what's at stake here is, I think what they're saying is, we got a deal here, Pilate. Just play by the rules, okay? Uh, we, we, we have it all worked out. Uh, we've already established by our law, we're the Jewish population here, we've already decided he's an evildoer, just get, and, and for some reason. And, and let me just say this. I said before that Pilate takes a bum rap, I think. And there are two incidents recorded in extra-biblical literature, Josephus and Philo, where... Pilate is pictured as a rogue and a brutal uh, uh, tyrant and so on. And out of that comes this notion that Pilate was just, just, he wasn't. He wasn't. He was a very good administrator. You can check the coinage he produced. He was being so careful to honor the Jewish sensibilities and so on. But the two records, Philo and Josephus, I'm just going to say they both have an axe to grind. And many Roman historians will say that that's character assessment, what they're doing when they describe. So it's, it's just not fair. So, but the point is, what I was going to say is, clearly the Jewish leadership anticipated that he was just going to go along with it. And now Pilate says in verse 31, uh, you take him in judgment according to your law. So Pilate says, I'm not going to do it. Listen, I'm going to suggest, <laughs> I think Pilate is something of a seeker. He certainly didn't live in a cave. You could not govern Judea and Samaria throughout the ministry of Jesus Christ and not have heard story. His own wife, Pilate's wife, was somehow deeply impacted, right? So Pilate just says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not just going to play along. I'm the judge. What's the accusation? Oh, if you weren't able to, well, then you go do it. Well, look at verse, uh, last part of verse 31. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now, it's not looking good for me, but I'd like to return that if I have time so, to that. So just remember that. But then Pilate, ent- uh, now this is what I want you to see. Verse 33, Pilate entered the praetorium and called Jesus and said to him, all right, let me just, I, you know what, I'm so far behind. I'm just going to tell you the story. You follow it in the script. Now, I want you to picture this. Here's, here's a wall. And, and a, a, a city wall, and extending from the city wall, we'll make the, 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 the platform here, is a gate. There's another wall here. This is the Valley of Hinnom. You're there that day. Well, you're not there yet. The city's still awake. Uh, still, city's still asleep. But here's a gate up here that goes into the praetorium. Up here, and there are remnants of it to this day, there is a bema seat, a judgment seat. So this is a courtyard gate that was established so they could have this sort of public hearing and so on. So now 
Here comes, just, just from the south, here comes Jesus, dragged along by the Sanhedrinists, and they go through the gate into this courtyard, and Pilate comes out, and I think probably walks up to his appropriately as to judgment seat. And he says, what's the accusation? And they say, oh, just crucify him. I'm not going to do it. So now Pilate walks down off the Bema seat, takes Jesus alone into the praetorium. They go into now, it's, it's a fifth of a mile long. You've got to understand, there are two huge palace buildings. But he takes them into this beautiful palace complex that Herod the Great had built. It's Jesus and Pilate alone. And there is a stunning conversation I'm going to walk you through, but just know this. This has to be the good confession that Jesus made. Because other than the two times, we're going to come to in just a minute, other than the two times where Jesus is alone with Pilate, Jesus never says a word. Throughout the whole trial before Pilate, he never speaks, except when, now there are some issues of harmonizing Gospels here, but I, I, I can say confidently, he never speaks except when he's alone with Pilate. So Pilate takes Jesus in. By now, Jesus has been abused, he's bruised, and, and, and he's undoubtedly shackled and so on. Uh, but he takes Jesus into the, into the praetorium. And this is the conversation. I'm just going to walk you through it. I love it. Pilate says, are you a king? Well, I better read it right here. He says, uh, are you the king of the Jews? Now, folks, think. Put yourself in the moment. This is real. This is one of those moments where it is very, very important to honor the reality of Jesus' real human nature. He took upon himself genuine unfallen human nature. There were moments where the Spirit directed or enabled him to know supernaturally so that he could know a woman had five husbands and so on. That's not how he lived his life. And so now Jesus had to learn. He had to, and, and Jesus is jealous for the truth. And Pilate has asked him a question which is on the face of it horribly ambiguous. Because it could mean, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the Messiah we've been waiting for? What's the answer to that question? On the other hand, it would make more sense perhaps, but he doesn't know for sure. Pilate might be saying, are you the seditionist, the pretender king, the threat to Rome that you're accused of? By the way, time out, I shouldn't, but you often hear that in that it was wrong to interrogate the, the, the accused. That was true of the Jewish law, not of Rome. Uh, Pilate, listen, Pilate is a duly authorized judge. He has every right and obligation to settle this issue. And the most important people the Jew, in the Jewish community have said, this man is a threat to Rome. Pilate can't just wink at that. And so he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? But Jesus has to settle out. And so Jesus, because the question is ambiguous, look at it. He says in verse 34, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or do others tell you it's concerning me? And what he means is, Pilate, are you asking me from the bottom of your heart whether I'm the king? Or are you asking me whether I'm guilty of what they have told me, uh, accused me of? And Pilate says, am I a Jew? There in verse 35, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? So folks, listen. It's on the table. There's one question before the house, and that is, are you a seditionist? Are you a threat to Rome? All right, now Bookman's getting himself a little worked up here for a minute. But, folks, I love the next verse. But the next verse, Jesus replied to that question, are you a seditionist? What have you done? Is as much abused as any verse in the Bible. 
And so Jesus says, and I'm not even going to pursue this, but let me just say what he says. You know this, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, if this doesn't make any sense to you, don't worry about it. But I got amillennial friends. I'm a fire-eating, flame-throwing premillennialist, okay? <laughs> I, I got amillennialist friends. I love them. But I'm telling you, if anyone drops his Bible accidentally, flops open to this verse. Am I right about that? <laughs> I mean, this is their verse. You know what I'm saying? I, I, what do you think? What do you think? Jesus is on trial for his life. It's about 4.30 in the morning. He's alone with the Roman governor in the, in the, in, in the uh, a praetorium. He's asked a legitimate question, are you a seditionist? And Jesus seizes the opportunity to deliver himself of a one-sentence lecture on kingdom theology that totally unsays everything the Old Testament ever said. What do you think? I don't think so. Folks, what, what, what is staggering about this verse is this, that in point of fact, Jesus, he's asked the question, are you a seditionist? Are you a king? What have you done? And the answer that he gives is such an airtight legal argument that from this you got to understand this after Pilate emerges from this interview he insists against every probability against every I mean it was dangerous for Pilate to do this but again and again he says the man is not a seditionist it's staggering that he absolutely refuses to the very end to send Jesus to his death as a seditionist how came Pilate to that conviction there's only one answer this answer and what Jesus says is, my kingdom is not of this world. If you want to know what he means by of this world, it wouldn't hurt to read the next sentence. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But now my kingdom is not from here. Now, folks, everybody in the Roman Empire, everybody in the Roman system, government says, knew, especially Pilate, knew exactly what a Jewish sedition looked like. It happened all the time. And, and, and I think maybe Pilate stood there and stroked his Roman chin and said, you know what, this man has been going up down the countryside. There are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who are entirely in, committed to him. They have never raised a hand against the Roman Empire. We know what a, a Jewish sedition looks like again and again. A man claims to be Messiah, goes down to the Jeshimon, he finds some fast, fastness, some, some hiding place, gathers a militia, goes out and falls on the caravans, falls on the Roman, you know, and, 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 and none of that happened. And, and Pilate had to confess that in his own mind that you have to be insane to think that this man who has traveled up and down the countryside for all of this time, by the way, this is why it was so important that Jesus say to Pilate, uh, to Peter just a few hours earlier, put away your sword. Because he wants to make this argument. And he is able to make this argument. And I'm going to say again, it's airtight. Pilate comes away absolutely convinced this man is not a seditionist. All right, now I'm in real trouble. So now he, he comes out. And I want you to, let's go back to our scene. He's been inside. Oh, no, 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 no. What are you talking about, Pope? It doesn't end there. Because look, then Pilate said to him, after Jesus had made that argument that absolutely, finally persuaded Pilate that Jesus was not a seditionist, then Pilate said, oh, this is stunning. Are you a king? That's got nothing to do with judicial proceeding. But Pilate, that's why I say, he's, he's, there's something going on here. And my goodness, I love Jesus' answer. Oh, this warms my heart. Jesus was a premillennialist. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> 
But what Jesus said was, oh, I love this. You say rightly that I'm a king. It was for this purpose that I came into this world. It was for this purpose I was born, that I bear witness, and I think the article here has demonstrative force, that I bear witness to this truth. Oh, I hunger for the kingdom. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious for heaven, but heaven's just a brief stopping place. We're headed for a kingdom. And in that kingdom, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as water covers the sea. Does that take your breath away? Is that happening in Santa Clarita? No, it's not. It's coming when Messiah comes. So at any rate, that's what he says. You say rightly. And then he says this, anyone who is of the truth is going to hear my voice. Now, Pilate says, and I think it's an honest question. Everybody's, oh, he's a sinner. Ha, ha, what is truth? I think he's saying, oh, man, what is truth? I got the, the Jewish world is saying, you got to put this man to death. I've got in a little while, my wife's going to be writing me a letter, you know, and, 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 and I think he's genuinely consternated. He's saying, what is true? He goes out, here we are again, comes, here, here Jesus and, and, and Pilate come out. I think Pilate probably goes up to his, his place. Jesus stands there, and of course his enemies, his Jewish enemies, okay, 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 here we go, here we go. And Pilate st- takes his, his place on a, throne, on, a, on a bema seat, and he says, I find no fault in this man. Oh, they, they, they exploded. All right, now I've got to be done. So now they begin to say, no, he's trouble. Ever since Galilee, when, G- when G- uh, Pilate heard the word Galilee, he thought, wait, I'm not in charge of Galilee. Herod Antipas, Herod's son, is, is, and he's, I think he's staying in the palace probably. So he sends Jesus to, uh, to Herod. Now I'm not going to talk about that. Nothing comes of it. Uh, it's only recorded in Luke. It's important. It's a very big part of it. But, but I want you to see before Pilate, because what happens is that while Jesus and the Sanhedrinists have gone to Herod Antipas. This is somewhere around maybe 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Pilate comes up with an idea. Oh, it's a stroke of genius. And he thinks, wait a minute. At Passover, we, we kind of decided to release Barabbas, but I know from Sunday and Monday and Tuesday that this nation loves Jesus. So I'll just offer them Jesus. They'll certainly go for Jesus. And by the way, by now the city is waking up. And can you imagine with what wildfire speed the news would press, uh, 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 spread through this hugely impact, this, this city grown to several times its normal population, that the one whom we welcome as king on Sunday is now on trial before his life, and it's kind of an open venue. And so now the city is waking up. Pilate's sitting up there. He looks out. He sees these people coming, and he thinks, oh, have I got an idea. So now they bring Jesus back, and uh, Pilate plays his gambit. And, and you know, he's going to be able to say to the, to the saint, hey, it's not my fault. They chose him. What can I do? So he says, I think he probably stands, and there are crowds here, and there's, it's an oral culture. He knows how to communicate. And he says, whom would you have me give you? Now remember, on Tuesday I said that when Jesus pronounced those woes, he was deliberately driving that city to a decision. They announced their verdict right here on Friday morning. Who would you have me give you, Barabbas or, the, or Jesus? Give us Barabbas. Judas is stunned. He says, what would you have me do with Jesus, whom you recognize as your king, the Christ? And they insist. The Bible says that the Jewish leaders persuaded the people to ask for Barabbas. So very quickly, uh, at this point, Judas, uh, Pilate does 
what is certainly wrong and ignoble, but it had a noble motive, and that is he has Jesus scourged. Now, I love to talk to you about the whole scourging issue and how it relates to crucifixion, but the fact is this was a cruel, cruel scourging. But he does it with the intent to persuade, to, to satisfy the, the anger of the crowd. And so he has Jesus scourged. Now he brings him out. Uh, again, there's a gate there. He takes him into the praetorium, and uh, now he brings him out. By now, Jesus is horribly battered and bruised. He has the crown of thorns and so on. And Pilate gets him before the crowd, and he says, Behold the man. Have you had enough? But they begin to cry out again, Crucify him, crucify him. And so Pilate takes Jesus into the praetorium a second time. Now we've got to jump way down here to John 19 and verse, uh, oh, so much I need to talk about. But uh, verse 8, what had happened is the Jewish leaders finally despaired of getting Pilate to crucify Jesus as a, as a seditionist. And so they, they uh, oh, I'm in trouble. They... Uh, <laughs> They, what they do is, uh, because Pilate has said, I'm not going to crucify him as a sedition. Again, it's persuaded by Jesus' argument. They say, well, then we have a law, and by our law he had to die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard that on the screen here, he was the more afraid. And so now you have a second, and this is stunning. I'm just going to walk you through it. It says that he takes Jesus into the praetorium once again, and he says, where are you from? Now, again, I think the point is, who are you? What's going on? On Sunday, they love you and they welcome you. Today, what is going on? And Jesus won't answer. And Pilate gets exasperated. And he says, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the authority or the power to crucify you or release you? And Jesus says, and at this point I'm going to put a reading on this. It's a, it's a very well-accepted reading, but it's not the one you're used to, that I think is, is, is much superior to the one you're used to. Jesus says, you would have no power over me at all unless it was given you from above. Now you have to ask yourself, what is from above? Almost everything it means my Father in heaven. In which case, Jesus is kind of patting Pilate on the head and saying, well, now don't take too much to yourself. You wouldn't even have any power unless my father had given it to you. Frankly, I don't think that is a noble or admirable attitude to take with a duly appointed judicial authority. And I, I, I know this is Jesus, but I, I, I don't think that. But no, beyond that, if that's what he means, if Jesus means above, power from above, if that's what he means, that is from God, what do you do with the word therefore? It doesn't make any sense. All right, cut to the quick. I'm convinced he is saying, Pilate. Matter of fact, just, I want you to use your mind. They're alone in the praetorium. Jesus is bloodied and bruised. Pilate is at his wit's end. He desperately doesn't want to crucify Jesus. And I, I like to picture Jesus maybe with those manacled hands taking Pilate by the shoulders and looking into his eyes and say, you'd have no power at all except it were given you from above, from, Jew, from Roman authorities above you. In other words, you're here only because you were assigned this jurisdiction, which is to say, you didn't chase me down. This is not your fight, Pilate. You wouldn't have any 
authority, except you were assigned this jurisdiction. Now it makes all the sense in the world that he goes on to say, therefore, the one who turned me over to you, that's Caiaphas, he has the greater sin. Now, if you allow me this reading, you still got to ask, what is Jesus saying? I think Jesus is saying, I think he is giving Pilate permission to go ahead. Folks, you got to understand, this is a real crisis. Jesus has to go to the cross. Pilate has to send him. He has discovered a reserve of character that we might not have expected of him. And Pilate is digging in his heels. And I think Jesus is saying, Pilate, it's not your fight. Because what happens is Pilate goes back out. He tries harder to release him. The, the Jewish authorities use, play their trump card. If you don't crucify him, we're going to tell Tiberius. I'm going to tell you something. Pilate had, in fact, stepped in more than one cow pie in, 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 in Judea there. He, was, he knew he, he didn't have a lot of coupons back in Rome. And, so when they say, and, and I think when they say that, that it, well, clearly, Pilate says, ultimately turns, he, he calls for a, all right. I like to think he goes back up there and takes his seat on a bema seat. He asks for a basin and a cloth. With some ceremony, he stands there and washes his hands. And then maybe he walks down. Jesus is standing here before the people, goes in the gate. I'm being a little dramatic. I like to think of him taking that rag maybe and handing it to one of the soldiers and looking back over his shoulder and say, you do what you will with him. I won't have anything to do with it. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't wrong for Pilate to turn Jesus over to be crucified, but I think he did it with the voice of Jesus ringing in his head. Jesus is taken to be crucified. One, one other point. As he is being crucified, John 19, Pilate comes and puts on the cross a titulus. It was standard, not universal. And it was the specific crime for which the man was being crucified. And you remember it said in three languages, didn't have to be three, but he wanted three, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And the Sanhedrinists came back to him and said, don't write king of the Jews, right? He said he was king of the Jews, right? He was a seditionist. And Pilate said, nothing doing. He gives one more testimony to the fact that he does not believe that Jesus is a seditionist. But more than that, I think Pilate put his life... Remember, Jesus had said, you say rightly that I am a king. And anybody who is of the truth is going to hear my voice. And now Pilate puts a placard. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. I think we're going to see Pilate in heaven. I really do. It's... it's, it's now... I'm late, but let me just say this. What can we learn? Well, certainly Jesus had a passion for the truth. He asked questions. He made sure he got... Secondly, he had a passion for the work the, the Father had sent him. He, he, I think he is, is causing Pilate to go ahead and turn him over to be crucified and so on. But I'll tell you something else, and this is important. Jesus loved Pilate. And the way Jesus... This is the good confession before Pontius Pilate, and it is stunning. I hope it's some help. We're late. Let me have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the life that he lived and the death that he died and the price that he paid. But, Father, we thank you for this marvelous record, and I'd ask that uh, we might, in fact, go to school 
and that uh, the good confession that your son uh, gave before Pontius Pilate would be an encouragement and, 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 and an instruction to us in all the days to come. Thank you for this good work and what you're doing here. In Christ's name, amen.